electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today in our podcast, historic sanctions against Russia. Unpacking the economic power of a united front with former Commerce Secretary and former White House Chief of Staff, Bill Daly. The Western world, when they act together, can be extremely strong and unified and and, uh, have an impact that's rather dramatic. And once again, we're taking you around the world, from D.C.'s decision-making to China's tricky politics. CNBC's Eunice Yoon. China is finding itself in a very precarious position where on the one hand it wants to be perceived as anti-American with Russia, but at the other, on the other hand, it has very close economic ties, as you guys have been discussing, with the U.S., with Europe, as well as its Asian allies. Those conversations plus, Russia aside, Americans are most concerned about inflation. We're anticipating Jay Powell's remarks on rate hikes this week. I'm more in the Jamie Dimon camp of like seven rather than in the camp of, you know, some some economists who think it's like four. It's Monday, February 28th, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the Nasdaq market site in New York's Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And uh, this morning... We start this week with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. A Russian military convoy presses in on Kiev and in Ukraine's second largest city, authorities say dozens have been killed in a rocket missile attack, adding to a civilian death toll already over 300. And yet, delegations from each country are now in Belarus to discuss a resolution. As they talk, hundreds of thousands of refugees are fleeing Ukraine, while the Western world pressures Russia with historic economic sanctions. President Putin has shown no interest in relenting. But the West has come together to maintain pressure on the Kremlin. So let's get into it. Over the weekend, the U.S., European allies, and Canada agreed to remove key Russian banks from SWIFT, the secure messaging system that connects 11,000 financial institutions around the world. If you want to hear more about SWIFT, go ahead and listen to Friday's Squawk Pod, just below this one in your feed. Now, Russia's exclusion from SWIFT is an extraordinary step to sever the country's ties to international finance, although Energy exports, which account for a large chunk of Russian economy and are key to European ally economies as well, may be exempt. Russia can't get paid for their goods. That will disrupt importers, exporters, government activities and regular business transacting for many in Russia. Another big move, arguably more painful for Russia, freezing Russia's $630 billion in foreign reserves. Domestic ATMs and banks had long lines over the weekend as Russians attempted to withdraw rubles. The ruble, in the wake of these sanctions, plummeted in value to under one cent to the dollar. The Russian central bank was forced to raise domestic interest rates to 20 percent 
from 9.5% overnight. Russian markets are closed today in the aftermath. A G20 central bank has never had its assets frozen, raising questions of systemic global risk. And it's all really only beginning. Also over the weekend, BP, or formerly British Petroleum, announced that it will exit its $14 billion stake in a Russian oil giant. That position had long been one of the most significant Western investments in Russia in history. And as you'll hear, this Monday morning, President Biden announced even more sanctions to interrupt Russian business. Also hanging over all of this, Putin's decision to put Russia's nuclear defense system on high alert. Our team broke it all down today on Squawk. Here's Becky. What people are trying to figure out at this point is, does the central bank move a little more slowly? Um, are they more cautious as a result, and what does that mean? I think most no. people don't think so. No. Well, especially not when you look at the inflationary impact from a I think you might just, I mean, the truth is you're trying to make demand go down. That's what you're trying to do. Nobody right. wants to say that, but that's what it is. I'm most fascinated, honestly, we were talking about it earlier, is, uh, you know, China has not been our, our favorite ally recently. I don't know if I call them an ally. Our favorite... Um, Partner? Or what are they? They're, I mean, they're frenemies, frenemies. But I, I think after watching the reaction in the world, the Chinese are like, yeah. You know, I, I think well, it's less likely they go after Taiwan. I think, and, and, you know, with all the erratic stuff we're hearing about Putin, where people that know him and like the generals, he's like telling them, let's go on alert. And they're going, could you say, could you speak Russian or could you say that again? They're looking at him like right. something's not, not quite right. But, but China cares about Europe and the U.S., do they not? Yes. Trading with us? And but. nobody thinks this is nice. And if he goes in and kills, did you see there's supposedly a hit squad for, for the Ukrainian mm. president? If he goes well, in and kills him. But our leverage over China, dare I say, is a, economic, lot less, though. is a lot less, though. We're yeah, not, they may not, we're not cutting they, off the SWIFT system what do they of the get Chinese. From, yeah, but, we're just not. No, but, yeah, but I, what I do they get from Russia? If China wants to embrace, embrace What do they get from so Russia? Oh, sure. No, no, no. They get everything else from no, us. No, no, I'm speaking only to the idea of, the, of them going... going if, to the degree you look at this and say, is this a dress rehearsal for Taiwan? Meaning, and you're looking at this I, to figure out what's going to happen. No, no, no. I think, I think you're, you're, is, you're I think still it's less likely now. I think it's less likely Putin, now. Or is there a situation sure. where they take a few steps back and say, maybe not. We did not right. sign off on, on this sort of... And they'll be caught up in some sanctions if they totally... I mean, can you... I can't believe Germany is really... You know, selling weapons. You know, two percent of their GDP from here on out right. is going to be spent on defense. I mean, that is right. a complete That's a change. Wonderful wall, but, but the, the world is, is done. Is pretty, and it's, also the resistance to Ukraine itself. Look, we haven't talked about BP, and right. you know, British, British Petroleum. They call it British Petroleum anymore, and they just call it BP. Yeah, just BP. You know, getting rid of Rosnoff, and that's that's that's. Well, 20% stake, they were the largest foreign investor in Russia. And so they had to get rid of it. They the had to get rid of it, state. but that's a thing. And right. doing it immediately and stepping down. Looney being on the board there yep. was kind of a crazy move. Too. I mean, this, so. in, in, the, in the year 2022, this is nuts. Going into a country yeah. that you don't freaking own and, and thinking, and, and the people there Democrat are like, wait, I'm a Ukrainian, I'm free, I don't want this. And I think China is surprised at the. the the global reaction. Putin miscalculated on a lot of levels. I think he he did. thought Zelensky would leave. He thought the Ukrainians would put down their arms immediately. And um, yeah, this is not. I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm hoping it's we break up that unholy alliance and China starts realizing, you know, they need us more than they need Russia. I'm hoping. I'm just hopeful. I don't know. I, I don't, you know, I don't like nuclear red alerts, especially working right here, out of here at 9.01. I'm done. I'm out.
<laughs> Welcome back to Times Square. We want to get to Kayla Tausch, who is in Washington right now with the latest. Kayla. Well, Andrew, we're just getting some news out of the Treasury Department about what these sanctions from the U.S. and allies will look like. The Treasury Department announcing that it will be uh, essentially blocking transactions with Russia's central bank uh, in the U.S. and any of those transactions that are happening in dollars overseas. They will also be sanctioning Russia's direct investment fund. It's a, a move with a goal of essentially trying to limit Russia's access uh, to any transactions worldwide to take direct aim at depleting any rainy day reserves that Russia has been building up for the last eight years. It's a coordinated move with many Western allies, Canada, Japan, European countries as well. No word on where China stands, which has been uh, conspicuously absent from that list of countries. Now, a senior administration official just a few moments ago said that these actions will take effect immediately, that the administration wanted to put them out uh, before markets open to give the market a sense of being able to digest exactly what the impact will be. These officials said that they've been in discussions with regulators for months to try to understand and limit any potential fallout uh, in the markets or with financial institutions from here. But it just underscores what we've heard from uh, many in the White House that Russia needs to feel more pain. Here's the U.N. ambassador yesterday. We hope that the Russians would uh, uh, listen to uh, to the mm -hmm. pressure that we were putting them under, but they didn't. So they have to uh, uh, continue to feel uh, additional sanctions and additional pressures on their economy, and, and they will feel the pain. On the front lines in Ukraine, the U.S. has also approved for the first time the direct delivery of Stinger missiles to the country, joining a long list of European allies sending weaponry and equipment, including another historic first, the European Union itself providing a first ever $500 million in defense assistance. You're also seeing 1,000 anti-tank weapons from Germany, 500 Stinger missiles from Germany, from Portugal, rifles, grenades, helmets, vests, radios, night vision goggles. The list goes on. All of these allies, uh, guys, coming to Ukraine's defense, trying to fortify the country as the fight continues. Ukraine's president has said that in those talks at the Belarusian border, he will be calling for an immediate ceasefire and withdrawal of troops. Back to you. Kayla, thank you very much. Kayla Taoshi. I want to get to Yunus Yun, who's in Beijing, with the latest on Chinese, the Chinese Balancing Act over Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And quite a balancing act it uh, may have to be. Good morning. Absolutely, Andrew. Good morning to you. Um, as Russia continues to come under pressure, China continues to play both sides. Uh, when asked today about uh, President Putin's decision to raise uh, his country's nuclear deterrent alert, the Chinese foreign ministry reiterated its support for Russia's, quote, legitimate security concerns on Russia's uh, banks uh, being blocked from the SWIFT uh, bank messaging uh, system. The ministry said that China opposed unilateral sanctions and would continue normal trade with Russia. Unusually, though, the Chinese government is facing a backlash back home over its stance. A group of professors penned and posted a letter online condemning what they described as Putin's invasion 
of Ukraine. This is a description of Russia's attack that Beijing has been avoiding. Uh, the Chinese embassy in Ukraine has also come under heavy criticism online for being unprepared and offering what's perceived to be flip-flopping advice to its citizens. Uh, the Chinese censors have been very busy today scrambling to block the criticism and disabling accounts. Uh, the Chinese government continues to paint itself as neutral, with official media now expanding on the phone call between President Xi and President Putin, where President Xi was purported to have supported dialogue. The official media now says that China, as a neutral party, perhaps should come in and act as a mediator. Um, as this whole crisis unfolds, of course, uh, China is finding itself in a very precarious position where on the one hand it wants to be perceived as anti-American with Russia, but at the other, on the other hand, it has very close economic ties, as you guys have been discussing, with the U.S., with Europe, as well as its Asian allies. And so it wants to present itself as neutral, though it's still unclear as to whether or not people are convinced. When you think about this quote-unquote balancing act, where do you think they really stand? Meaning, do you think that they're more with Russia in the end, or do you think in, the tru in truth they're, they're more with trying to keep a stable global market? I think they're actually China's with China's side. So on the one hand, you see that they are coming out and supporting uh, Russia, that uh, they do see that they have interests aligned to be anti-West. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, um, we're already seeing reports that uh, the Chinese state banks have stopped issuing letters of credit in U.S. dollars uh, for uh, financing of uh, purchases for Russian commodities. Uh, there's uh, this level of nervousness among some of the, the refiners as well who've put a pause on some of the, the receipts of, of certain oil and other energy products coming from Russia. These are some of the reports that we're getting out of here, of course, just illustrating how complicated things are that China and its companies, um, as well as its banks, don't necessarily want to get slammed themselves from the West. Eunice, thank you very much. Eunice Yoon standing by in Beijing. The uh, EU and U.S. also announcing new sanctions against Russian elites. I saw one piece, Robert. Some guy lost his villa in Italy or something. He was crying. Some Russian guy on TV. I don't know whether you saw it, but this, uh, th this is hitting individuals. And I'm sure we're going to have some, some crazy anecdotes and stories uh, after it's all said and done. Yeah, I guess that was a famous TV anchor who, who may lose his Lake Como estate. So tragedy there. But over the weekend, a lot of new sanctions by Europe and the U.S. against a whole swath of Russian elites. Now, they include a ban on sales of golden passports. Those are the citizenship plans that have allowed the biggest billionaires to protect their assets in other countries and avoid sanctions. There will be a new transatlantic task force that's to identify and freeze the assets of sanctioned oligarchs and companies and more Russian elites and their families will be added to the sanctions list. Now, even the biggest oligarchs starting to feel the pressure. Roman Abramovich handed over control of Chelsea FC, that's the famed football club, to its trustees over the weekend after growing calls for all of his assets to be seized. Michael Friedman, he's worth about $11 billion. He's got a London private equity firm. He called the war a, quote, tragedy in a staff letter over the weekend, but did not cast specific blame. Putin called a secret meeting last Thursday night of his top 30 oligarchs and executives to prepare for sanctions and to ensure their loyalty. Abramovich was there along with Friedman and Russia's richest man, that's Vladimir Potanin. 
And then last night, the British Parliament announced a new bill that would require anonymous foreign buyers of property to disclose the true owner. And that's, guys, because the oligarchs have bought billions of dollars worth of property in London through shell companies, LLCs and trustees. Now they're going to try to get at who the actual owners are. We, we, I think we all know who the real richest man in Russia probably is, uh, Robert. But, you know, it's yeah, he owns like, the country. He owns the country. It, yeah. yeah. But he's got like a trillion dollars supposedly socked away. I don't know. I, I don't want to. You know what? I don't want to umbrella stuck up my my took us uh, talking about him. But um, I, I mean, it, it, it's a little strange. You play in the capitalist world and you become an oligarch and you get rich and you start enjoying the benefits of it, it's hard to go back to being a commie. Is it not? I mean, these guys are going to learn that, that if you're going to play in this world and have all the benefits of a Lake Como estate, you can't pretend to be a, a Marxist anymore, can you? Well, what's interesting, what's interesting and what's going to change here, look, no one is under the illusion that these sanctions against the oligarchs are going to prevent Putin from doing what he's going to do. But what's interesting is how these guys have bought influence in the West over the past 10 years, whether it's through property, whether it's through football clubs, whether it's through their yeah. contributions to museums and think tanks. And, and now it's just going to be more difficult for them to do that going forward. It's weird. I mean, think about it. Robert. The, the West is pretty nice. It offers a lot. I don't know. What do you get with, with a reconstitution of, the, of the, the Russian Empire and the Soviet Empire? What, do, what does that do for the average Russian or even for the oligarch? Who, who does it benefit other than Putin and, and his, I don't know, his romantic notion of, of getting back to where it was 50 years ago? Well, and, and remember, in 2014, one of the hopes was if we squeeze the oligarchs, they'll put pressure on Putin to back down. That did not happen. That's not going to happen this time. And you're right. There are signs that they are uncomfortable for, about this because for them, there's a lot of downside. All their family members perhaps having their visas of their kids who go to U.S. universities taken away, their yachts, their planes seized, their villas seized. And yet, you're right, the upside of a, a broader new Soviet empire, or the reconstitution of that empire, you know, maybe there are natural resources that they get. There are some assets, corporate assets in Ukraine. Um, but but it's it's all downside at this point for the oligarchs. Right. It, it almost does seem like the 80s are asking for their for, foreign policy. It almost it's, I understand he, he doesn't feel secure with a NATO country. If Ukraine were to become a NATO country, he doesn't feel secure there. But the rest of it just seems antiquated and anachronistic. And it's not going to it's never going to happen. We're not going back there. Sorry. To you know, Robert, you pointed out yeah. that none of these sanctions have worked in the past. This stepped-up level, do you think that that does work in some way? Do the oligarchs actually have any say when it comes to what Putin does anyway? What could be different this time is that in 2014, they targeted about 180 oligarchs, and the oligarchs had a very simple solution. That was they transferred all their assets into the names of family members, whether it was their ex-wives, their wives, their kids, relatives. So this time they've gotten a bit smarter in that they are targeting the entire families. We'll see if that works. Look, these guys will always find a way around it, but this does make it more difficult. And more importantly, it makes them reputationally pariahs so that the ability of any group, any whether it's a museum, whether it's a football club, whether it's real estate, to sell or deal with these guys will just be harder. And that's where it hurts them and their families going forward. All right. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Robert. Robert.
Coming up next on Squawk Pod, the Western world united for Ukraine. The politics and alliances with former Commerce Secretary and former White House Chief of Staff under President Obama, Bill Daley. He wants Ukraine back into his new uh, dream of a new Soviet Union. That's not going to happen. Ukrainian people have rejected that. And that's a hard thing, it seems, for him to stomach. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This is Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Becky. Continuing to watch the situation with Russia and Ukraine, hearing about what's happening with the SWIFT system, what that means for Russia's banks, but also European and U.S. banks as well. Joining us right now to talk more about that is Bill Daly. He is the vice chairman of public affairs at Wells Fargo. Of course, he's also former chief of staff in the Obama administration. And uh, Bill, thank you for being with us today. A lot to kind of dig through and talk about on this. My first question is, what happens with the, the SWIFT to with the, the SWIFT uh, kicking Russians off of SWIFT, what does that mean for the global banking system? We've never tried anything like this before. The impact is, is enormous in Russia. There's no question you've seen a ratcheting up of the sanctions. There's still a ways to go, and it really depends on what uh, Mr. Putin wants to do and how he uh, pursues his actions in the Ukraine. But I think the coming together a week ago, this conflict's only been five days, a week ago people were questioning whether Europe uh, along with the United States, would take these sort of what are considered draconian actions. And they did come together. They've been consistent and they've been unified. And there's still a ways to go. And it's all up to Putin at this stage as to what he wants to do and the impact on his nation. Yeah, I think Putin has made many huge miscalculations at this point. One was thinking Zelensky would, would flee. Another was thinking Ukrainians would lay down their arms. The third was thinking the EU would have no resolve and that the, the relationship between the allies with the United States, the EU, the UK would fraction. None of that has happened right now because he's taken such extreme measures to this point. If you were to use sanctions like this, the idea is, I guess, to punish the Russian people into maybe pushing back so hard on Putin, he has to stop. Um, does that work? I think it's an acknowledgement, uh, Becky, that I think there's a sense that there's more th to being able to react to such actions than sending troops in. No one and the president has our president has been consistent in saying we will not send troops in. But there are plenty of things we can do. And when you have a unified Europe along with the United States, the Western world when they act together, can be extremely strong and unified and, and uh, have an impact that's rather dramatic. And I think people underestimated the coming together of the West 
and especially Europe. Um, Germany's actions over the weekend were unprecedented in, in, in our modern history. And they've changed. And much of Europe has said, and even Hungary today, a president of that country who's pretty well aligned, and a lot of people have believed he's very aligned with Putin, now separating themselves from Putin and Russia. So what's the impact on the markets? We're watching some weaknesses, especially in Europe, but financials here and in Europe and in other places um, down on all of this news. Is that because the Federal Reserve is not going to be able to raise rates? Is that because there are concerns about what the implications of taking Russia off SWIFT is? I think all of the above, to be honest with you, Becky. I think when you see every day on television uh, the conflict that's going on, and then you have Mr. Putin saying, you know, he's put his nuclear forces on high alert. That's that's volatility uh, to an extreme. So I think the market's just reacting for a whole host of things because there's turmoil, turmoil going on and the perception of turmoil in the world. Uh, and that just makes everyone uncomfortable because of the unknown. And again, we're only five days into this conflict. So we'll see whether or not anything comes of the alleged peace talks today. Um, but then President Putin's got a real uh, challenge, and that is how strong can he go into Ukraine when you see the dedication and the resolve of the Ukrainian people and the world standing with Ukraine. Uh, that, that's a pretty massive force, not the actual army of Ukraine, but the world's focused on Ukraine and Putin's actions. Hey, Bill, um, what's your political analysis of what's happened here? And I ask it more in the context of what you think this means for the midterms and the future, insofar as there was a view even as of last week, I think when this first began, that this was very detrimental, for example, to the president and the administration. Um, I don't know if that's the case on a morning like today. Yeah, I, I think it's hard to judge right now, to be honest with you, Andrew, because I will say this, the president has done what many people never thought was gonna be able to be accomplished and surely was not tried over the last number of years. And that is bringing Europe together from Sweden to Germany, France, uh, Hungary now, along with the United States and the president's leadership in that and his history of knowing and relationships with people, I think is paying off incredibly. And I think it, a few years ago, one wouldn't think that this was possible to bring Europe together under the U.S.'s leadership once again to take such back. So it's hard to tell what the impact on the midterms, obviously, uh, inflation, the economy, uh, how this really impacts us over the long term will have greater factors than the last couple of days uh, on the midterms. But this is, as we all know in politics today, it is very fluid. And those who predict they know what's going to happen 10 months from now or nine months from now are usually proven wrong. No doubt about it. Midterms are tough in a, in a new president's term. Generally, historically, you lose a lot of seats. But uh, I think it's real hard right now to tell what impact all of this will have on the midterms. And it's, it's rather inconsequential right now, to be uh, honest with you, considering what's going on in the Ukraine and the Ukrainian people's resolve. Let's talk about the peace talks. Um, what would success look like? Well, obviously, a ceasefire, a stand in place, at least for the Russian troops that are in Ukraine, not having Bel uh, this morning, the speculation is Belarusian troops are going to come into Ukraine, obviously, if that was stopped. And there'd be serious discussions by Zelensky and senior leadership of Russia uh, as to uh, what they actually want 
it seems the way Putin has addressed this, he wants Ukraine back into his new uh, dream of a new Soviet Union. That's not going to happen. Ukrainian people have rejected that. So he's got to be face. He's got to be facing up to the new world of the 21st century, not the 20, 20th century uh, with the old Soviet Union. And that's a hard thing, it seems, for him to stomach. Thank you. Bill Daly. Great, Great Becky. Thanks. Coming up on Squawk Pod, the rest of the news, including inflation and a big rethink of mutually assured destruction. We've been saying it for a long time that we just need to get rid of all of them, don't we? This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew. Cube, who's Mike? You're watching Squawk Box live from the NASDAQ market set in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin. Along with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick, I have something totally speculative to ask. Okay. Do you think that if you were Putin and you knew that this was going to happen a week or two ago, Brother, that you'd it? buy options oh. on oil? No, seriously. I was well, actually thinking been, about there's this. There's been speculation about that in the past, whether he shorted markets when these things were happening. But I think there's also a question of just how rational he is at this point. Like, I right? think some of the moves he's made have not have not led to the idea. No, but you know that oil is going up. I mean, you if you if you had this as a plan, I don't know what that means to the Russian banks because you do it through Russian bank. Right. Right. I suppose. <sighs> what uh, trades do you make when you've brought, you know, a nuclear holocaust into the equation? You're just saying the whole thing is irrational. Which it is. I'm just saying, I, I, I mean, when you put that on the table, I don't know if he's thinking about oil options and things. I, I, I don't know what, I don't know. I, I, I think, I, I thought this was, I thought we were trying to get rid of all those things together. Yeah. That can never be used. We make these things that can never be used. You know how much time and effort and money and expense and storage and security, it, it can never be used, none of it, just to mutually assure that, that no one. Mutually destruction. Yeah. I mean, it's a total waste of that. We've been saying for a long time that we just need to get rid of all of them, don't we? Well, yeah, that's what we convinced Ukraine to do back in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, right. we'll protect you. All right. Um, look, the other thing we haven't talked about this morning yet is Jay Powell is going to speak before Congress on Wednesday and Thursday this week. Um, we haven't mentioned that at all coming through this. This is his semi-annual testimony to Congress. Right. And there was a poll that took place with NPR and PBS over the weekend that showed that America's top concern right now is inflation, 38% versus 11% for other issues. Now, I'm not sure when this poll concluded. I would think that there are other issues that may have taken the main center stage over the last week. Uh, 
But inflation is still front and center, and Jay Powell is going to be speaking, and the expectation, at least at this point, is he will have to be pretty hawkish because of the inflation numbers that we've seen. Right. Any respite from, I don't know, whether he's... Ukraine may not factor into it at all at this point. No, not with the higher inflationary costs that you're seeing on commodities prices as a result. Yeah. I'm a broken record. You know I think you got to raise rates, and I think you have to actually be outspoken about how you want to actually reduce demand, which I think is such a strange thing to say aloud. Right. All and right. I don't think he will. No. Well, yeah. I don't think he'll say it aloud, is my point. Right. That point. And how many increases this year in your book? I'm more in the Jamie Dimon camp of like 50? seven but rather you, than in the camp of, you know, some, some economists who think it's like four, right? Right. That's the podcast for today. Thank you for starting your week with us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.